Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. Welcome to Innia Summer 2020. If you don't know what that is, let me tell you. There is a tool called the Enneagram that I have found really helpful in my life. A lot of my friends have found very helpful in their lives. And we like to take a couple of weeks in the summer and really talk about that tool and talk about how it can help you in your emotional, spiritual growth and becoming the person that you want to be. And we made some very fun Ennea Summer koozies over at shopanniefdowns.com. There is one for each number. You can buy them in sets of one, sets of two, or you can buy the whole set of one through nine. When you buy a koozie, you get 10% off of anything else in the store. So you can get a Wowie Zowie hat or a mini BFF t-shirt or books, kind of whatever you want. 10% off. Y'all know I love a koozie. I don't drink a can of LaCroix without a koozie. I am very excited about these. I think you're going to love them too. It's a great way to get ready for our Innia Summer series. We began last year in June, so you can go back and listen to Innia Summer 2019, where we have 18 different guests on, each of them kind of describing what it is like to be the number they identify as. That series also started out with a conversation with Suzanne Stabile, who's an incredible expert in the Enneagram. And then there is a Q&A episode also afterwards with Seth Abram, who is an Enneagram podcast host and a dear friend of the show. Y'all know him very well. So that is all back there for you on the podcast in 2019. With some of this same music, our music is from our good friend, Mr. Ryan O'Neill, Sleeping at Last. He has a whole series of Enneagram songs, and every episode you're going to hear clips from the song about that particular number. Today, to kick off the Ennea Summer 2020 series, for those of you who don't know a ton about Enneagram, or maybe it's newer to you, or maybe you've known it for forever and just get need a good refresher on the nine types, I learned so much from this conversation with Sarah Jane Case. You probably know her on Instagram as Enneagram and Coffee. She is brilliant, kind. You're just going to love, I mean, her voice is just so soothing. She's just so lovely. And she and I sat down last week and just had a quick conversation all about her start in the Enneagram. She actually has a book out called The Honest Enneagram. I just ordered it and really like it. Came out in April, but make sure you grab a copy of that, The Honest Enneagram. And here is Sarah Jane Case and I talking about the nine types to get us ready for our Enneagram 2020 shows with each specific number. So here's my conversation with Sarah Jane Case. All right, Sarah Jane, welcome to That Sounds Fun. I'm so excited to be here. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for doing this. I am, as many of us are, a huge fan of Enneagram and coffee. And I remember when it started out, was it last year? Is that how, how long ago? Two years? Um, almost, I guess a year and a half. It was 2018 in December. Okay. Yeah. I mean, literally it was like everyone was talking about it in the same day. Did it feel that way to you as well? (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. It was crazy. It was like refreshing the feed and it was just thousands of people a minute. It was insane. Yeah. Tell me how you got into studying the Enneagram to this level. I, you know, I've always been interested in human psyche and and how people operate and why they operate the way they do. Before I found the Enneagram, I was doing coaching. So I was doing creative consulting, helping people to prevent and recover from burnout. And we were doing a lot of work around 
why they are the way they are. And so I found the Enneagram at that time. And when I read the description of my type and the description of my husband's type, it was like this fast track to understanding why we do what we do. And from a personal level that helped our relationship immensely just to hold compassion for one another, know what our work was, know what each other's work was. But then it was also just professionally kind of this skipping of the first three sessions I would have with people of just helping them to figure out what they needed. And we could really get into the nitty gritty of what tools do you need and how can we work moving forward much, much faster. I think that's one of the problems people have, Sarah Jane, with them. Let's talk about the problems people have with Enneagram. Yes. But I do feel like sometimes what people don't like about it is they feel like it's taken too seriously and it's mm-hmm. and it's meant to replace things about our faith walk or things about our, you know, counseling or any of these any of these other things that kind of help us become who we want to be. How have you found, like, can you help us talk about the balance of that with the Enneagram and how it's the way it's a tool for us? I love that question so much because so often what we, what I see happening is that the Enneagram is given this role in people's life that it was never meant to have, right? So that's where all of the complication comes in is we think it's this end all be all to life and answers. And we start to put it in this position of power that it's, it's not meant to have. And the reality is that you're the driver of your growth journey. The Enneagram is just a Mm. map. It's the information about where you could go and where you maybe have been. And you, you need to figure out what your tools are. You need to, it's, you're the decider for what the tools that you bring in for that are. So that if that's your faith, if that's your prayer, if that's um, your relationship to God, or if that, you know, if that's meditation, meditation, if that's yoga, whatever it is for you, you know, bringing in those tools, that's just to support them. The map is just there as a potential guide, but you, you decide what the tools are. Oh, that's so good. So talk to me a little bit about there. Some of our friends listening, they are, they've been like waiting on any of summer 2020 because it's brand new to them and they don't know much about the Enneagram. How do you even start to figure out your type? So I really recommend that you just read the descriptions of the type. So whether that's grabbing a good book or if it's going to EnneagramInstitute.com and reading the descriptions, it's going to save you a lot of time. So you can take a quiz online and that's fine. There's lots of like perfectly fine quizzes. Most of them are about 50 to 80% accurate. And Mm. so the likelihood of mistyping is pretty high. And I found that it can actually add to the confusion of typing. So if you go in, you read the descriptions, you're going to see yourself in one so much more quickly than if you take a test and it gives you an answer and you have to decide if the the test was right or not. Right. Definitely just read up on it and you'll find yourself pretty fast. What type do you identify as? I don't even know that. Do you tell people? Oh, yeah, I do. I am a social seven, or I identify as a social seven. I am a one-to-one seven, Sarah Jane. Oh, my gosh, we I love would that. Have the most. We will have the most fun next time we're in the same place. That's why I like the name of your podcast so much. <laughs> That's right. I mean, could I be more seven and even That's the perfect. name of my podcast? <laughs> I know. I know. Okay, so what made you do Enneagram and Coffee? How did you even start that? I had been studying the Enneagram for a couple of years and I had already, I'd gotten to the point where I was talking about it and thinking about it so much that I was driving my friends and family insane. Like it was (laughs) annoying them. So finally a friend of mine was like, can you just find an outlet for this already? So like you have somewhere to put this, you have somewhere you can talk about this. 
clearly this is something you're passionate about. And so I created Enneagram and Coffee more so as a place for me to put my out my ex my excess information. Mm. And I thought maybe my mom would follow it or a couple of the people from my <laughs> personal account would follow it, but I had no idea what was in store. Oh, right. Because as of recording right now, you have almost 600,000 followers. <laughs> and so one of those is more my mom. than your mom and a few of your friends. <laughs> Things change. The thing that amazes me about your account is you have so many different series. How do you come up with what you're going to do next? How do you know? I think content creation is maybe one of the greatest joys of my life. So being able to be in the world, look for, you know, you just experiencing things and seeing how I could apply that or or what I would, how I would think about it differently. So maybe Mm -hmm. if I'm listening to a podcast or watching a TV show or um, I'm at the coffee shop and I watch an interaction and I see two people interacting very differently, Mm -hmm. I might take note and say, oh, wow, like this is how this person communicated the situation. And I can see how that didn't compute to the other person. And I'm just very observant and um, curious about humanity. So everything that I do kind of goes back to that. And then I figure out how I can phrase it in a way that it fits into like a tiny box. Yes. Yeah. That is, (laughs) that's one of the one of the pushbacks I feel like the Enneagram gets sometimes is that sometimes the memes oversimplify Mm -hmm. the complexity of the Enneagram. But one of the things we try to do around here a lot, Sarah Jane is talk about both and versus either or like you should, you probably are living a better life if you're experiencing joy and sadness instead of one or the other. And, Mm -hmm. and so part of me, can you talk a little bit about the importance of like the both and of like, we need the messiness and the complexness that is the Enneagram at the deeper you dive, but we also need the fun memes and the cute stuff that gets shared. Like your national park series. I love from last Christmas. Mm-hmm. Like I, why do we need both of those? Yeah. And I think, I think there's twofold. So the first one is I love the idea of my account being a gateway to people getting into Enneagram, yeah. right? Like it's this access point. And it's a way to touch in with yourself and share yourself with other people and say, yeah, I see myself in this. At the same time, a lot of my content has shifted from when I first started the account to where it is now, because I did see kind of the impact that it was having. So in the beginning, I did like a series on how, you know, what's your Christmas song based (gasps) off of your time? I love that one too. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I I think that's fun, but it actually almost requires you having enneagram knowledge to really appreciate its lightness. Uh, because what I watched was that people would take that and and give it more than it needed. Right? It would give it more power than it deserved. So saying, well, if you're a nine and you don't like the song, then maybe you're not a nine. And you're like, and everybody like, pump the brakes. I yeah, say yeah. That. Like, this is, no. <laughs> and I would watch it and I would be like, no, 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 no. Um, and, and I think, you know, Leslie Hirschberger is one of my favorite Enneagram teachers. And she, she did a really cool post where she made a distinction. She's like, there's entertainment. And then there's like doing the work of the Enneagram. And those two things aren't the same. And, and that's where we have to clarify, like, yes, even my deep content on my feed, it's still entertainment. Like you have mm. to put it into practice. Mm-hmm. You have to go deeper. So you can go, you know, I really think of it as levels like entertainment via Instagram. Then you can go into information where you can get information from 
books or podcasts or, you know, things like this, where you're learning about it, you're integrating it, but then you have to actually apply it. And that's where the magic of the Enneagram is, is when we can actually start to do some work with it. Yeah. How do you put Enneagram when you're thinking about your life and your own personal growth? How do you put Enneagram together with your other things? Like, I don't know if you go to counseling. I go to counseling and I put it together Mm -hmm. with my faith experience and I put it together with conversations with friends. Like, how do you add Enneagram to the rest of your life versus making it the whole of your life? Yeah, I, you know, I think about, I like to play this game with myself where I take the language, I take Enneagram out of it, right? So when I'm tempted to say I'm, I'm being a seven, uh-huh. I like to make myself describe that. So, oh, that's so when I talk to my therapist, I want to say, well, you know, I'm a seven, so da, 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 da. Uh-huh. But what I really need to say is I'm someone who's very scared of sitting still because I'm afraid that I'll have to feel the intensity of my emotions. And that feels like I'm going to get trapped there. And if I actively describe it. That is such a painful thing you just said, by the way. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> For someone it's else who, identi- to- who identifies as a seven. Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's, so that's a great way to go through the description of, of what you're experiencing, mm-hmm. not just automatically call yourself by the number. Mm-hmm. which I think is tempting. And when we do that with other people, it limits them and it limits us mm-hmm. when really we, if we can really describe it, if we can eliminate the desire to simplify it mm-hmm. and really describe it, then it calls us into action. It calls us into actually participating in something. I think, and I think it's so important. Will you talk for a minute and then we'll jump into kind of talking about each of the nine types. Will you talk for a minute about how we're supposed to, or not supposed to give other people what number we think they are. Yes. This was, I had to learn this. I think we all have to, like when we find the Enneagram, we get so excited Mm -hmm. and it's almost like a puzzle or a game. And so we start to want, we want everyone in our life to know their type because if they know their type, then we can talk about it. And it seems really fun. The harm that can be done here is that a couple of things can happen. First, they can feel objectified, right? They can feel like we've We've turned them into a number. We've simplified them. We no longer see them as their complex humanity, but instead we see them as this thing outside of their heart and their experience. Mm. So that's the first thing that can happen. The second thing that can happen is is actually we can it can be a tool of psychological manipulation when we're saying, I need you to accept how I see you. I need you to take on the view of you that I see. When instead letting them have their experience with it and tell us who they think they are, because that what we're really trying to say when we say, I think you're this type, we're trying to say, look at your, look at what I see you as, not, can you tell me how you see yourself? And so often I find, I think it's something we've talked about a lot around here is like, if we had one person from each type who identified as each type in a room and something happened, we may all exactly behave the same way just for nine different reasons. Yes. Yeah. And and so the other problem with typing someone else is you're looking at their behavior, not necessarily their motivation. Yes, exactly. I mean, I've had people message me to tell me that I've mistyped myself so many times. You are lying to me. No, no, no. Oh. Almost like so often. Sure and people will say, well, no, I know you're a nine because you crinkle your nose when you, <gasps> you laugh. Like crazy stuff, crazy stuff. <laughs> and it's like, you, you don't like, know me, internet. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, first of all, my brand might have a completely different type than I have. Uh. And so you're seeing this like 
very small sliver of me. And you're not having to deal with like any of the reasons why that's happening. There's just, there's so little insight really into why people do what they do unless you're inside of their brain. Wow. Yeah, that's important. I mean, I think it's, it's so helpful. And we've talked about this a little bit before on the show, but it's so helpful to know your type and it's so helpful to resist typing anyone else. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and and there's so much richness that you can get from listening and asking good questions. Mm -hmm. That's if what you're seeking is connection to the people in your life, giving them answers is not the way to get it. That's the way to shut them down. If you can ask Uh, more questions, if you can seek, see them with curiosity, then you're going to, you're going to invite connection instead of, instead of closing that gate. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. To use the Enneagram to be more self-aware for yourself and to heal and grow as a person and also to open up connection with other people. That feels like why it's such a beautiful tool in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Okay, so can we just take a couple of minutes and go through each of the types real quick? Yes, absolutely. Let's just do an overview for everybody since this is the first episode of Any of Summer. And for all of us who maybe know the Enneagram, it's such a good refresher and you will use different words than any of our other experts have used before. And mm-hmm. and then for people who are new, they can kind of start listening and see see which one connects the most with with what they feel about themselves. Does that sound great? Perfect. Okay, so let's start with the eights because we know how the eights like to... We, we start with the eights, we end with the seven. <laughs> so <laughs> tell me a little bit about eights and what you think about them. Uh, so eights are the challenger on the Enneagram. They are the most focused on prioritizing their strength and hiding their vulnerability. And uh. they often fear being controlled. And that may take them and put them in the position of often taking the lead as a way to prevent being controlled themselves. Ah, right. Like it's way I, I've heard someone say before that eights say, um, I don't have to be in control here, but don't try to control me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So tell me what do eights offer the world? My favorite thing about being in the energy around the energy of an eight is that I get to relax. There's ah. almost this element of I know exactly where I stand with you because it's a really upfront. They're very yeah, direct. Yeah. And so there's no guessing. I don't have to worry about like they have secret feelings about me. Like they yes. tell me what they think and they tell yes. me where they, I stand. And I know that they can handle it if I tell them where I stand. Mm-hmm. And there's a, it's very clean in that way. Like there's not a lot of like hidden messages or, or strings attached. It's just pretty straightforward. And I find that very relaxing. I think it's yeah. like the place I get to relax the most and at the same time, most eights, when you're around them, they feel very confident, capable, confident. And so, you know, if something goes wrong, like they're going to be able to handle it. And in some ways, that's this beautiful thing they bring to relationships. And in other ways, when that feels like the thing they have to be, um, when it feels like they can't let that guard down, then our eights often might not get to rest themselves. You know, mm. where do they get to go yeah. um, to find that rest, to be vulnerable, to be seen for the intricacies of who they are in their weakness and let their guard down. That um, that rings so true to me, Sarah Jane. I've never thought about this, but I just last week was with a married couple and she's a seven and he's an eight. And mm. I tear up with them a lot. And I was even asking myself, why do you feel so emotional with these particular friends? And I think it's what you said. I feel so safe with them mm-hmm. because I know exactly where I stand. And I know that if something goes sideways, he's going to handle it. Like yeah. you just know right where you stand. And so it just almost makes my like tough interior, my tough exterior 
lose lose all control. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's something for me too, you know, as a fellow seven, I think when I feel like someone wants me to be emotional with them, it almost makes me hold that back. Oh girl, that is whereas right. If things are very clean and clear um, and it's like they're holding their own space, I'm holding my own space, you're not trying to pull at my space, Uh then I am more willing to open up and expand and be be vulnerable with you. Yes, that is. That is exactly. You're teaching me about (laughs) me today, Sarah J. (laughs) I'm like, yes, that is exactly how I feel. I think that is so, so true. Okay, tell us about the nines and what you love about them. I love nines. I do too. Wait, what's your husband, by the way? Don't wait. He's a four. Okay. Oh, a seven and a four. <laughs> it's a lot. It's intense. That's excellent. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead with your nines. Yeah. So our nines are the peacemaker. They're the ones who are focused on maintaining their own peace of mind. They fear loss of connection. And, and what that can look like is, you know, creating a space where everyone feels safe around them, where everyone feels like their thoughts and their opinions are welcome and valid. Mm. And that can cause the the nine to soften their own thoughts and opinions as a way to make sure that others don't feel like they're going to be judged or criticized in mm. their presence. Mm-hmm. And to me, or there's a real distinct difference and people always want us to like have guests that have like a nine wing one and a nine wing eight. And we don't have time or energy to get all the way into that. But nines can look a lot of different ways depending on which way their stronger wing is and kind of their nature versus nurture, right? Yeah. And I really think subtypes are particularly apparent in our nines because there's Mm. like there's some social nines that are very workaholics and then there are one-to-one nines that are more inclined to merge with a partner or a family member Um, and then we have our self-preservation nines which are a little bit more grounded and earthy Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know that's just so it's all so different in the way that you present. Yeah. And and I think that when sometimes when we describe nines, people mistake the the silencing of themselves and they mistake that for meekness. And I really don't think of our nines as not having opinions or being meek. I really think of it more as like they are these big balls of fire that they hide away from the world so that they're not shining so bright that other people feel uncomfortable. So they are fiery, but they're kind of dimming it down so that you don't feel like you can't shine. Right. Until until they are no longer dimming it down and then they are the real deal. (laughs) Fire comes right out. That's right. I mean, the most stubborn person I know is a nine. I'm always Mm -hmm. like, man, you will dig your heels in so hard, but not say a word. Yeah. It's like a quiet stubbornness to you. It's like, you'll just take their time on a project or on a thing. And you, and they're not saying no, but they're not doing it either. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Tell me a little bit about why you think the world really needs nines. Yeah. Nines have this amazing ability to hold perspective. You know, they look, they're able to hold on to the, the belief that I I really truly think they can see the fact that everyone's trying their best and they're doing mm. the best they can with what they've been given. Yeah. And so nines can, they're kind of these quiet gurus. Um, in, in my book, I call them secret gurus mm-hmm. where it's like, they're very quiet. Most of the, you know, not quiet most of the time, but they don't insert themselves. They're not intentionally inserting their opinions all the time. Yeah. And because of that, they really pick up on a lot and they're able to hold this nuanced perspective to where 
when they give you advice, when they speak into your life, it's coming from this informed, grounded, well-rounded place. Yeah. Like they're not the friend to go to if you want someone to just kind of go to town gossiping about somebody. Right. But they are the friend to go to if you want to check and balance on your own desire to stay in your your small worldview. Oh, that is a good point. That is a really good point. I like even as you're talking, I'm like, yeah, when I go talk to my nines, they don't they're not the ones I'm expecting to get real fiery with me. They're the ones I'm yeah. expecting like like they 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 they're sympathetic, but they mm-hmm. aren't well, I'll beat you to beating that person, <laughs> you know, like they aren't going wild. <laughs> yeah. They might say, "Well, have you thought about it from their perspective?" Yes. And, that always and makes me crazy. That's what we need. I know. Yeah. <laughs> just makes me nuts. Okay. What about ones? So our type ones, they, there's a couple of names for them, the perfectionist or the reformer. I'm particularly a fan of the reformer. Yes. It's almost like this, this desire to be good in all scenarios, not to, not the fears of being evil or corrupt. And when I think of the reformer, it's this, this ability to kind of look at everything and see how it could lightly be better. Um, it could be 10% better. Everything could constantly be improved. So there's almost, when we, when we use the word perfectionist, I think it's limiting to our ones because that's almost gives the impression that everyone has like this clean, tidy house, but it's really more about moral imperfection, mm. moral moral goodness and wanting to be a good person. Um, I heard someone say one time that the ones in your life are likely the best person that you know. And I really like to think of it like that because ones are giving their time and their attention into just being good and showing up in the best way that they can every day. Wow. And where, where do one struggle? The struggle here is, you know, I like to talk about how what we reject in ourselves, we often reject in other people. And for our ones, when we reject, you know, the ability to let our guard down, like our, not our guard in the sense of like protection, but our guard in the sense of we constantly need to be improving things, Mm -hmm. then we don't get to have that playfulness, that fun that we, that everybody needs to have. We also limit our ability for self-acceptance, right? Our ability to... Um, be fully okay with what we are as we're showing up, where we're showing up. And and when we limit our ability to do that internally, then that can overflow into our relationships as well. So we can, if we're constantly seeing where we're falling short, then the way that we speak to ourselves is going to impact the way we're engaging with other people. So if we're doing that with ourselves, we're going to start doing that with other people too, because mm-hmm. that's our overflow. Yeah. And why, how are ones a gift to the world? I mean, I know you said everyone, mm-hmm. everyone thinks the best person they know is a one. <laughs> I think ones are this really inspiring group of people who remind us to do the best we can with what we've been given, right? Mm. Like nine see that we're all doing that. Ones remind us that we could be doing a little bit more right. and to not settle for less than being amazing, being excellent. And, and not in the sense of like, we want people to see us being excellent, but more just like be a good person, show up, do your part, participate in the world and love and give and do more than you think you can do. Yeah. There, uh, my mom is a one and it has been so fun to, once our whole family started learning what type they identify as to go, Oh my gosh, that's why I love this about ones. And that's why I love that about ones. And it's been it is a lot of that, like, improvement is possible. This can be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay, twos. Listen, you know, Sarah Jane, so many Southern women think they're twos. 
know. <laughs> That's why I say don't take the quiz. Like, honestly, because most women are going to type as a two, especially in the South. Like, right. It's just a waste of your time. Especially <laughs> if you're a Southern woman, you're going to type as a two. Like, don't take the quiz. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> or if you get a two, then do, if you get to dive into a lot more research before you're very sure you're identified as a two. Yep. Absolutely. So our twos are the helpers. They are, they, you know, they really see the world in relationship. Somewhere along the way, they, they receive the message that they, that love is something to be earned through what you do. And uh-huh. so they kind of, they orient in the world as if their love is constantly having to be earned. And so this can cause them to, you know, kind of scan the world for need and feel like it's their job to fill that need. And that it's their responsibility to be the ones without need and to be the ones who give to those who are in need. Mm. Wow. And where do they struggle? What's the struggle for a two? So the struggle with the two is that their main objective here is to give love and to receive love in return. However, what can often happen is this desire to earn love can cause them to interject and cross boundaries into other people's space. And therefore, they limit their ability to receive love back. Because mm-hmm. they kind of go into things with this expectation of, I'm giving to you, so I'm going to earn a, a, a thank you. I'm going to earn the love that I need when I have a need. And they yeah. forget that other people aren't kind of constantly scanning for the needs of others. Yes. And so their relationships will therefore always be a little bit dissatisfying. Either they, no one can really live up to their expectations of how to be loved, how to love them, or the people in their life are going to feel invaded upon and they can't express gratitude because they didn't ask for that need to be met in the mm. first place. And so a lot of the work for our twos is in really only giving without expectation and turning a lot of that energy that they're giving to other people back onto themselves and really making sure that they're they're feeling their own cup because otherwise they create this vacuum of love where they're constantly yeah. giving and people are constantly taking and no one's feeding back into them. Yeah. And it just, it, my, two of my closest friends are two, Sarah Jane. And I just, I'm like, mm-hmm. I watch them and I think, how do you think of other people that much? <laughs> like, yeah, It is amazing yeah. how they just, but, but the healthy ones in my life, it amazes me that, that they have learned like, okay, I can't do this to earn love. I have to be full of love first and I can overpour from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That And that's their, I mean, what would you consider their gift to the planet? In my life, it's that they will do just anything for anybody. They just are always, mm-hmm. they see needs before I even know them. Yeah. I mean, I think it's an amazing thing to go to dinner with a type two and to realize that your glass never gets empty. Like someone's always feeling your glass for you. And I I really think of twos as like this holding human form. Like they're the safe place to land. They're there for you. They love you. It it feels like being enveloped in love when you're around Mm. a two. And I think that the, the gift here for our twos is really the ability to call us all into looking outside of ourselves a little bit more. Whereas our twos, like the work for them, the muscle that they need to build is the ability to look inward and pour inward into their own life. But what they can call us into is to, is to really looking for opportunities to give and to love and to recognize the need that the people around us are having without them having to directly ask us. Now, the fun here is that we, you know, we all work on the communication aspect of this. Yeah. So being, you know, learning to ask and say, is this a need in your life is a really helpful thing for our twos. But for the rest of us, we're already kind of 
often ignoring the needs of the people around us. Mm. So we can kind of step it up a little bit and be called into that with our twos. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation with Sarah Jane to tell you about our friends over at Liquid IV. I already told you about the new Ennea Summer Koozies that we have for you at shopanniefdowns.com. But listen, the reason that matters to us is hydration matters to us. And I'm not kidding you. There is not a podcast partner that we love in our office more than we love Liquid IV. Believe it or not, dehydration occurs daily in three out of four people. But with Liquid IV, you have the fastest, most efficient way to stay hydrated. Each serving helps you get as much hydration as two to three bottles of water, you guys. I feel so different. I'm not kidding you. I feel so different when I put a packet in my water bottle. I love the taste of them. They have these new ones that Justin Bieber created that everybody at our office is drinking and we are loving it. I think it has helped me sleep better, given me more energy, helped me recover after I do a run in this summer heat. I absolutely feel different. In fact, I texted a friend of mine last week when I put liquid IV in my water bottle after my run, and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I haven't thought of this sooner. This is such a quicker recovery for my body. It is amazing. One serving of liquid IV provides the same hydration as drinking two to three bottles alone. And it contains five essential vitamins, more vitamin C than an orange and as much potassium as a banana. And I love this too. Liquid IV is donating 2.3 million servings in response to COVID-19. Products are being donated to hospitals, first responders, food banks, veterans, active military. We love partnering with these kind of companies here at That Sounds Fun and at the That Sounds Fun Network because we love what they make and we love what they do. So uh, if you have not tried Liquid IV yet, come on, friends, come on. It's available nationwide at Costco, or you can get it 25% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code that sounds fun at checkout. Again, that's 25% off of anything, which let me tell you, the acai flavor is awesome. The new Justin Bieber flavor is awesome. So when you use the promo, that sounds fun at liquidiv.com. Get better hydration today at liquidiv.com, promo code that sounds fun. And now back to the show. When we're doing this series this month, one of the things I'm asking all the numbers is like, how can everyone else love you well? You Mm -hmm. know, because I feel, and in particular with twos, it feels like the people who identify as twos are the ones who aren't really sure what, (laughs) what they need from the rest of us to love them. Yeah. And I, and I think a lot of times it can, it's, so simple for a lot of the twos in my life, at least it's like, they just need you to say, thank you. Like they, they love, most of them have traditionally like love to give, but it's the, the feeling like that's going unnoticed that can be really hurtful. Um, and then they do often like need that reminder, like pour back into yourself. And a lot of twos, I will say things that feel like easy to me. Like I'm like, go take a day off by yourself. Like go travel alone, like do what you need to do. And they're like, but isn't that selfish? And that word Mm. selfish is just like always kind of, I feel like in the back of their heads, like if I do this, it would be selfish. And that's the worst thing I could be. And really giving them permission to reframe what selfishness is and start to start to see like a healthy selfishness mm-hmm. and a healthy mm-hmm. approach to to pouring into yourself so that you can actually pour out into others. Yeah, your type and my type, we're both like, oh yeah, you should take a day off, everybody. You should be having yeah. way more fun than you're having. <laughs> like, what do you mean you don't have a vacation by yourself every year? That's I don't understand. Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. Um, okay, tell us about the threes. 
So our type threes are the achiever. They are, I like to think of, of type threes as, as fear of stagnation. Wow. So it's less like, I don't, I don't, they fear worthlessness. So they've built their entire life in attempt to not, to make sure that they're, uh, they're worthy, that they're offering value. Um, and so what this can look like is a constant achieving, a constant seeking of success. So I like to think of it as they're kind of going up to the, they're climbing up to the mountaintop and they're, they're going to make it to the top. They get to the top and they, they're like looking around and they realize there's another mountaintop just off in the distance. that's a little bit higher Mm. and they have to go tackle that mountaintop. And then they get up there and they realize there's another mountaintop that's just a little bit higher. And so when do they get to really stop and check in and see if these are the mountains they even wanted to climb in the first place? Because they've been so focused on getting to the top that a lot of times they forget to check in with how they're feeling in the process. So that can that's one element of our threes. The other mm-hmm. element of our threes is that they can do this thing where they can really blend in to to a group of people. So in one world, they might be like the most successful, the most hippie of of all the hippies. Um, and then in another world, they're the you know they're the CEO of a company and. They're, they're the best at that. And this could be the same three. Um, and they may show up in, in different worlds in different ways, being the best that they can be in any role that they've been given. Yeah. And and what's the struggle of the three? So the struggle here is this is is almost this loss of identity. Um, there's there's often this wake up call for a lot of our threes where they they get to the point in their life where they've getting, gotten to one of the top of those mountaintops and they realize that they don't know who they are. They don't know what they want. Wow. They don't know why they're doing everything they're doing. They they have the house, they have the car, they have the job, but they're not happy and they're wow. not satisfied and they don't know what even would make them happy in the first place. So a lot of the work is in in finding their identity, finding their their satisfaction in day-to-day life and making sure that the journey is enjoyable and not just an end to the end the means to an end. Yeah. And and to me that our friends listening know that I like I think male 3s have traditionally been a little challenging for me. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I've gotten way better. I've gotten way better, but it is that like what are they doing behind their eyes and behind their words? You know, Mm -hmm. that's always Mm -hmm. been a hard thing for me, but they're also such a gift to the planet. Tell me why threes are such a gift. Well, threes are, they are so inspiring, right? Like they motivate us to, to show up more and better. And I think about this, like, you know, I was teaching Enneagram at at a corporation last year and we were talking about company values. And I was, I was talking about how, okay, you have these three company values. Some Enneagram types are going to, are going to really resonate with one or another. And you can really learn to value these values based off of, you know, who you're around. So you can really step into all of them. And one of the threes rose their hand and was like, well, if we're working at this company, like, shouldn't we be able to do all of them? Like, shouldn't Mm. we value all of them. And I think that's what the threes are able to do, right? They're able to become whatever they need to be to do the job and to do it well. And so when I think about leaning on the threes in my life, I often rely on them for telling me where I'm sabotaging myself. I can say, where do you think that I'm limiting my potential? And 
I have one of my best friends is a male three and he will say to me like, Hey, yeah, you are spreading yourself too thin in these ways and you're not going all in on this thing. And I really think that you should follow this path and, and you're going to get there faster and they'll just help. They, they help so much with kind of calling us into our greatness. Yeah. The other thing that our threes do that can sometimes get them that's beautiful for us, but can sometimes limit them is that they will sometimes take our success on as their own. So it's almost like this adopting of the success of the people they care about and wanting to wanting so much for them to do well, that it becomes part of them and they will push you and encourage you and, and, give you the tools that you need to succeed mm-hmm. almost as if they're doing it for themselves. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I've, I forgive me. I've not paid close enough attention, but that is exactly what they do. They totally mm-hmm. gift you that and, and help push you. I haven't, I haven't ever noticed that before. Do you keep threes up close to you? I do have a lot of threes in my life. And I think, I think it's that assertive aggressive thing. Uh-huh. But I, I do a lot of check-ins with our threes because it's almost like the opposite of an eight where it's like, I know where I stand. I know where we are with my three friends. I do a lot of check-ins and I say like, Hey, how are we? How are we doing? You know, I need to know what's behind your, what you're giving to me. I oh, need to wow. make sure that we're on the same page and that things feel good and equitable because I don't know that I would know that right off the bat. Right. Right. That's brilliant. Um, okay, Fours, tell us about your husband. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Fours are the individualist. Um, they are they're kind of focused on finding their identity and expressing that outwardly. A lot of times our Fours experience this feeling like there's something inside of them that's missing mm-hmm. and they need to find it outside. So they're looking for something to fill that hole so that they can feel like they're on the same playing field as everyone else. I like to think of it um, I, as fours real. I don't, a lot of times people say like fours need to be unique. And I don't think it's like that. I think fours know they're unique. They just need you to understand oh. the intricacies of how they think. And, and less like unique, I don't use that word as much, but more so I, I think they feel like they need to be special yeah. or significant um, and that they are called into greatness and like they're supposed to be this amazing thing, but they don't have the tools. Like they don't think they have the tools that they need to be significant. And so they're settling for misunderstood and they're settling wow. for like tragedy. Wow. And instead, they, because they they so fear that middle ground, that average, that normal, um, the born the inauthentic that is their worst case scenario um so they really operate in the extreme tragedy or the extreme significant and so talk for just a second about how y'all you and your husband partner up in that because sevens have such strong feelings too yeah Yeah. um so we've really had to do a lot of work around you know what is what am i what's the story I'm telling myself about the situation we're in? Mm -hmm. Like a lot of times that's important for fours. That's important for all of us, but you know what, if we're having an interaction, what's the story that's being told to myself about the interaction. That's Mm -hmm. an important distinction. And then also separating ourselves when we're in the feeling really pushing, pulling out and getting back to our logical space, you know, letting our prefrontal cortex take control and then getting back into conversation when that's the one that's taking the lead. Yeah. Tell me, so tell me about fours and tell me what they like, what they offer our planet. Why do we need them? Fours. 
Uh, I, I love horse so much. I love every type. I might say that about everyone. But <laughs> I like that about you. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation about you. <laughs> I mean, with you, about you. We're not having a conversation about you, Sarah Jane. Uh, having a conversation <laughs> with you. Um, so, yeah, with our fours, I, I think there's this um, incredible romance of the ordinary that can happen. When our fours accept the day-to-day life, they can see everything as important, right? Like the the way the rain is falling is is significant. The way mm. that this book feels in my hands is significant. And I think that as a seven married to a four, a lot of times I am like objective oriented. Like I'm like, I'm on my way. I got to get there. I'm yeah. on my, I'm moving fast. And my husband will really slow me down. And, you know, if we, if we think about it in terms of taking a walk, I'm like, where's our destination? I'm on the walk. I'm getting there and then I'm going to go home. And he is like looking at every leaf along the way and and really taking it all in. And at first that would like really irritate me. Like I'd be like, I can't walk that slow. And as I, you know, as I really learned to let him impact me, it's really helped me to see more beauty in the world. Um, And if I can let him sometimes take the lead on things, then he will show me more beauty and in, in life than I I can give to myself. So yeah. that's one element of our fours. And the other one is they really call us into connection. Yeah. Fours, it's it's like they demand authenticity in such a deep way that it's like we're going there, you know, we're mm-hmm. going to go there together and you get to, you get to join me or not, but it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, and it's almost like they, they want to just connect, like connect your heart to my heart. Like, let's just skip all of the talking and like, let's get straight to like intense, deep understanding of who we are at our innermost being. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful, rich, deep thing that if we allow it to impact us can change us, change our, our lives forever. Yeah. Um, I, I like fours as well, too. There's a I read one time you can totally correct me on this, Sarah Jane, but I read once that sevens and fours as like kids look very similar because they have a lot of feelings and are just trying to figure out how to express them. Mm, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. I see. Because I'm like, man, I could have ended up being a four just as easily as I ended up being a seven because I just so get so many things that they <laughs> feel and say. Yeah. And honestly, sometimes my husband looks more like a seven than I do. And sometimes I look like more like a four than he really? does. If we're going stereotype. Right, you know, right, right, right. But it's really we're driven by such different motivators that yeah. Yeah, changes. Yeah, that's the difference is why why we do what we what we're doing. Okay, tell me about fives. Okay, mysterious. Fives, They're just mysterious to me. They are. Yeah, I think we like it that way. Yeah, for sure they do. <laughs> so our fives are the investigator. Um, there's they're focused on being competent and capable. So they have really built their life around making sure that they are informed. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they don't like to speak up on something unless they really know that they they are a master of that thing. A lot of fives really crave becoming an expert in something specific. So they typically will seek out what they're going to be an expert at for most of their life. They're going to be oh, on wow. that journey. 
And there's a couple of other elements of our fives that I think are important. The first one is that they're pretty guarded. They're guarded in terms of what information they're willing to give you. They can be pretty private people. That doesn't mean that they can't sit with you and your pain. Fives are actually really good support systems. They're usually able to let you break down and wail and cry and flail. And they're Mm. not really shaken by that. So, and we've heard before people say, well, fives aren't very emotional. And that's not accurate. Fives are extremely emotional. They're just very private about their feelings. So they yes. may not share them with you, but that doesn't mean they don't exist. That's right. That's right. It just <laughs> takes a long time for them to to say them to you if you aren't one of their very up-close people. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, the other thing that our fives do is they manage their energy very intensely. So fives are always aware of like the potential of burnout down the road. Um, the potential of overgiving of their resources. It can mm. feel like the world is an invasive place and that they need to protect their resources and their energy from getting taken from them. Yeah. And so there's kind of a constant like moderating of, am I giving too much? Am I getting too little? And it's it's very under the surface. It's not so conscious, but there's typically always an awareness of how much they've already given out. Yes. And so talk about why it is hard to be a five. It's hard, it's hard to be a five because one, there's this loneliness, right? If you, all of your feelings are, are happening inside of you and no one really understands you deeply, there's, there's this self created loneliness that occurs, um, out of fear of being invaded upon that Mm. you therefore limit your connection to other people. The other thing is that most facts that I've talked to, it's this interesting, dichotomy. So the fives that I talk to, they think other people are like, I don't really want to be around this person. They seem cold. They seem distant. But the people who I talk to who have fives in their lives, they're saying to me, I want more of my five. I need more of them. How do I get them to share more of themselves with me? And so it's so interesting. So that sounds really hard to me, right? Like that's, that's such a heartbreaking experience to think about. You don't think you're wanted, but actually the thing is they want way more of you than you feel like you can give to them. And so the work a lot of times for our fives is, is allowing themselves to open up a little bit sooner than they feel ready to, so that they can increase the connections in their life and, and open up. Fives don't have a hard time talking. They have a hard time talking about their, their vulnerabilities. They don't have a hard time talking about their interests. So really letting them talk about, you know, thinking about, am I just talking about a thing I'm thinking about or am I talking about a thing I'm feeling and how, you know, learning how to distinguish those two. Yeah. And why, what is their gift to the world? So fives call us into being informed and informed well, yeah. right? Like fives don't just kind of learn something and start talking on it. They learn and they learn it from the inside out. They learn all angles, all, all potential possibilities. They really, really seek to become an expert before they step into the role of an expert. Uh So they call us into being more informed than we were before. The other thing that fives can teach us is how to be, is really like they're this amazing logical support system where they can really help us to reason things out. So if I have a problem and I need a solution, I'm probably going to talk to a five. They're going to help me to really think through with my logic and not just kind of how I'm feeling in the moment. They're going to really help me to reason it out and think through a course of action. Yeah. Um, Okay. Tell me about sixes. So our sixes are the loyalists. Um, Sixes have this push-pull with authority, right? There's this 
first they're, they're very skeptical of, of new people and new ideas, new authority figures. But then once they've tested you enough and tried you enough, then they become extremely loyal to you. Mm-hmm. Um, they will do anything for you. So there's kind of that initial push pull. Um, this is another one where the subtypes really distinguish. So oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, all of us have really distinct subtypes, but sixes and I would say nines really get distinguished yeah. significantly. Um, so sixes, we have this one, you know, their, their subtypes show up in three distinct ways. One becomes like black and white thinking, right and wrong can look like a type one. Yeah. Um, we have the, their counter type they call a counterphobic six, which is they look a lot more like an eight. So yeah. while we might say that some sixes focus on the worst case scenario thinking and, and fear of the future or, um, and I don't really even think of it like that. I think of it more as like a constant need to be prepared. Uh-huh. The the counter six is going to move toward that fear, whereas the other sixes might run away from that fear and kind of prevent oh, that fear. Sure. So that's an important distinction. But most of them do still have that attempt to tell the future, like mm-hmm. attempt to to fortune tell, and uh, and sometimes with a a negative lens, like an, a a seeing of the what's lacking and not a seeing of what's possible. Yes. And so tell me why what the hard time that sixes have in our world. The thing that sixes have said more to me than anything else is I'm so scared of letting them down. Yes. This comes up with, you know, having to set boundaries with family members. This comes up with needing, wanting to quit your job to start something on your own, um, wanting to even take a vacation. You're like this fear that you're going to let everyone in your life down. Mm. And I think of it like you're afraid that you will no longer have a place of belonging and if you do what you need to do for yourself, that you will somehow sacrifice this network that you've built and that you you want to, mm. to support. Um, so that can really limit your ability to do what you need to do for you. It can limit your ability to take joyful risks that can have bigger reward um, because you're so your work. They fear that other people will be disappointed in them. Oh wow. I've had thought about that. I mean, so often when you think about sixes, you think about their ability to like doomsday prep and be ready for everything. (laughs) I haven't much thought about that their concern of uh, disappointing the rest of us by not having thought through everything. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. So why are they a gift to the world then? Well, sixes are what we need. We need sevens when we brainstorm. We need sixes when we plan, right? Ah, The sixes are the ones who really help us to think things through and to make sure that we're making informed decisions. We've really prepared for all of the possible scenarios. Mm -hmm. The other thing that our sixes do is they show us what loyalty looks like. They show us what it means to stand by someone through thick and thin, good and bad. Um, I, I, I've recently learned a lot about, you know, seasonal sacrifice and how when sometimes we are the one who has to take more, mm-hmm. sometimes we are the one who has to give more and that in in a long-term relationships, that's normal and that's fine. And you might have a year where you're the one who's taking and a yeah. year where you're the one who's giving and sixes really stick through those hard moments and just kind of are really good example as to how do I stand by someone even when things don't always feel good. Yes, man, you, Sarah Jane, you're doing such a good job of making us fall more in love with every number. I'm like, oh, okay, because right. I'm in love with all of them. <laughs> Sixes. <laughs> now, the easiest to love, Sarah Jane, is the sevens. So <laughs> tell us, tell everyone all about you and me and all the party people in the world. Yes. 
So um, sevens, we are the enthusiast. Um, we do not like limitations. We fear, we don't like to, we want to be ultimately satisfied with life. Mm-hmm. Our big fear is being trapped in emotional pain. And I, I think of being a seven as almost like we have this motor running underneath us that's that feels this intense pressure to make the most out of every single day of this one life that we've been given. Uh, like yeah. this fear that we're going to get to the end of our life, we're going to be on our deathbed and we're going to look back and we'll missed something yeah. or there'll be something that we, some stone unturned or something that we didn't experience that we could have experienced and that we'll have regret. And so that's kind of the essence of the type seven is this, uh, uh, this seeking of options, not being limited, seeing possibility and future potential and finding joy in, in everything that we can possibly find it and sucking yeah. the joy out of life. Yes. I like, I'm even the person who doesn't want to just take a carry on, on a trip because I don't want to be limited in even the clothes that I have. (laughs) Oh yeah. Same, same. And snacks. Like I am like covered. (laughs) Okay. So why is it hard to be a seven? So the hard thing about being a seven is that when we limit our access to emotions into only the good ones, we limit our access to connection and depth, right? Mm. We we limit our ability to be fully supported and loved. And I and I don't know about you, but for me, a lot of times that happy that limiting our my negative emotions, it doesn't mean that I don't feel my negative emotions, but it typically means that I feel my negative emotions in private. Yes. It's like I show you my happiness. I give you the best of me. And I just assume that it's kind of a bummer to have to deal with the negative aspects. Mm-hmm. So I might cry in my car, wipe my face, go into the coffee shop and make someone else's day. Yes. And, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> and and what can happen here is that we end up kind of almost like a two, it's different energy, but almost like a two we're giving without ever receiving. No one ever gets to be the support for us. We're always the mm. the sunshine for everyone else. But if we don't open up and we don't share of our negative emotions, then we don't get that deep, rich connection. Yeah. The other thing that can happen is we kind of feel like our anxieties or our stress or our sadness are constantly chasing us. Mm-hmm. And so we're, we have to stay moving. We have to keep going. So there's always a project under in the works. There's always something to be doing. However you as a seven decide to fill your time, you will fill it so that you don't have to sit still. And this can quickly lead to burnout. It can also quickly lead to the inability to follow through with things mm-hmm. because you said yes to so many things that there's not really the ability to stick through any of them long-term, which can really limit our ability to succeed um, if we don't learn that consistency eventually in our life. Yes, it has been. I mean, it's that both and and not either or that we were talking about earlier. Exactly. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, you even saying like joy and sadness, holding them both together, I think, you know, I don't know about, again, I don't know about you as as a seven, but for me, that sadness, I've almost treated it like, like I needed to like pinpoint the source and eliminate it. So uh-huh. it's like, why I'm feeling a sad emotion. Um, oh, there, there's the source. I need to cut it out. And so that has looked like quitting things a little too quickly, yeah. including projects or relationships because they made me feel a negative emotion in this moment. Mm-hmm. But I forget that in the long term, that moment will have passed yes. and I'll be fine on the other yeah. end. So I don't have to eliminate it. I can sit with that discomfort yeah. and stay, stay, stay the course. Yes, you're right. Okay, you did it. All nine types. You're so good, Sarah oh, Jane. Well done. It. 
Okay, let me ask you one more question, and then we need to talk about your book for a second. People ask me a lot about couples, like you and your mm-hmm. husband being a seven and a four. And people say, oh, we want you to do a series where you talk to a couple of every type, which seems insane. But is there, will you talk a little bit about about coupling up and what, I mean, all numbers work with all numbers if you're healthy, right? Is there any, like, there's not a number you should avoid if you're a certain thing, right? I don't think so. So I really believe that any number can be with any number as long as you're willing to do the work and that Mm. both of you are willing to do the work. Um, So you can, you can, and so I have a relationship course that is probably mid-launch when this goes live. Yeah. but that in that course, we'll talk about like what comes up for each pairing. So yes, as a seven and a four, these are the things you can expect to potentially work through. And here's some tips for working through it. But if you're both willing to do that work, there's no reason why it wouldn't succeed. Yeah. You just might have every type and pairing is going to have a unique set of complications. Right. <laughs> and gifts, right? Both. Yes, yeah. for sure. And what would be your suggestion to people who are dating or married or even a roommate and, and about learning the other person's type? Yes. So I, I say first, do your own work. Mm. That's the most important thing is do your own work. And that will not only impact your relationships positively, but it will also be so beautiful to see that other people will feel excited about entering into their own work too. Um, We cannot do someone's growth for them, right? Like I can't force my husband into this work because it won't be his growth journey. It'll be me dragging him along on mine. Uh, Whereas if he can get, if he sees the need in himself, he will establish that growth journey in his own timing. When it comes to helping them type and, and figuring that out, I really am an advocate for talking about the Enneagram without saying the word Enneagram. Because what happens, we're, you're trying to get them bought into a system and they may never buy into the system. But that oh, doesn't mean good. you can't connect with them with the understanding of the system. Mm-hmm. So I can ask you about your childhood wound. I can ask you about, you know, if I knew my husband was a four, or I had an indication that he was a four. I can ask, like, do you feel misunderstood in this moment? Is there something else you would like to say? Mm. And that will mean a lot to him, whether he knows that it's about him being a four or not. Right. Oh, that's so, I mean, I, I think that is such huge advice that when you're describing yourself to someone else or when you're talking to someone, removing the leading with, I'm a seven and therefore, <laughs> or you're a four, so, but leading with, actual words. That's brilliant. Okay. Will you tell us about your book, Honest Enneagram? Absolutely. So I'm so excited about, about the book. It, I wrote the book that I wish I'd had when I was learning about the Enneagram yeah. and, and it, it's twofold. The first piece is that it's written from a compassionate perspective. So I, I hope that the people who read the book leave feeling like they hear my voice in their head, speaking that to them with love and compassion yeah. And so that their inner voice can adopt some of that language of understanding, of forgiveness, of the, of permission to mm-hmm. kind of mess it up. Mm-hmm. And and so I wrote the whole book first from that perspective of you're trying your best, you are good, and you have good to bring to the table. Yes. And sometimes you do things that don't serve you or others. Right. And that's okay. <laughs> and here's some of them. And let's talk about it. Yeah. And here's why it might be happening. It's it's all from a place of, of deep love. 
And the second element that I, I added to this book that I wish I'd had earlier was tools. So mm. like we talked about before, the Enneagram is a map, right? It's the right. information about where you're going and, and what you could be working on. But we really need to add tools to do the work. And so I, I added those tools in so that people could go ahead and start getting some wins. So like go ahead and start getting some impact mm-hmm. before they – because a lot of times we read this and we're like, okay, I'm seven and we don't know what to do with it. Right. And, and I wanted people to have a next step. Oh, and the part you're leaving out is it's beautiful. I mean, it is oh, like, <laughs> there's beautiful colors and there's lots of really great illustrations. Isn't the right word. There's just a lot of graphics on the inside as well. Yeah, I, I'm hoping it's very digestible. A lot of people have said they read it in one day, yeah. which I, I love. I want it to feel digestible, accessible. Like you're learning about the Enneagram, having coffee with a really good friend who loves you and sees the best in you. Yes. Oh, that's kind. Um, and I was looking at it on Amazon today and a lot of people are purchasing it with The Road Back to You and The Path Between Us, which is two books that we love around here as well. Mm-hmm. Perfect. So I think that is really fun. Um, Okay. Is there anything, Sarah Jane, that we need to make sure people hear before they start on this Enneagram journey this month that we haven't said yet? You know, I really, I always want to encourage people to to not feel the need to rush this process, right? Mm. To let yourself listen to all these episodes. If you're in the discovery phase, listen to all the podcasts, really let yourself explore all of the numbers and and see where you come out. Um, if you're feeling ambivalent toward the Enneagram, you probably don't know your type yet. And you've probably been mistyped, even if you think you know. Mm-hmm. Once you find your type, you're going to feel connected to the work. Yeah. So stay the course. Give it time. You're worth the journey. You're worth the exploration. And um, at the end of the day, you are you do not have to be the thing that you think you have to be in order to earn love. Your type is an indicator of what you think you have to be. And it's a, and I hope that if you take nothing else away, that you hold on to the fact that you are worthy of love as you are, whether you're performing or not performing, you are worthy of love. And sometimes you're going to show up in your weakness. Sometimes you're going to show up in your strength and you were just as worthy as you were before. Yeah. That's beautiful friend. Thank you so much. That's so good. Okay. The last question we always ask, Sarah Jane, I'm excited to hear your answer. Because the show is called That Sounds Fun, tell me what you do for fun. I love this question. I have so many things right now because of quarantine. I'm like, yes, you're like all that everything. (laughs) Yeah. Right now I am really into my garden. I started a garden in quarantine, which I never thought I would do because I never thought I would be home long enough to have one. And I usually travel about half the month. And so now I'm home all the time. So I started a garden and I go check on it twice a day. And it is my favorite, <laughs> like the best thing I do. I'm like, oh, like the tomatoes grew a little bit. And I just like enjoy the walk down there. And um, it sounds so simple compared to what, probably what I would have said last year. But yeah. that also feels like growth to be so present with this one little thing that I'm tending to every day. Yes. How many different fruits and vegetables do you have in it? Um, so I have lettuce, carrots, tomato, cucumbers, basil, mint, and cilantro. That is really impressive. I mean, you are one of the people that people talk about starting a garden during quarantine. It's me. I started making bread too. I did all the <gasps> things. I'm a, I'm a quarantine stereotype. <laughs> I am too. Do you know, I had a friend this week say to me, Sarah Jane, like, she was like, I bought 
these this like exercise machine that I wish I'd have had during quarantine in case we um, have to go back and you know do another version of quarantine again. And I was like yeah. laughing at her, and then I was like, well, actually, I'm in the middle of a renovation of my porch because I spent yep. so much time on my porch. <laughs> So I get it. I totally get it. Um, Sarah Jane, next time you're in Nashville, will you please, can we please go grab lunch? Can we hang out? I would love to. I would love would it. Amazing. We'll get our friend Seth Abram to join us as well, who everybody knows here and loves. And um, I'm just so oh. grateful for your work. You are you are a real joy to a lot of us who, who love the Enneagram work. So thank you for what you do. Oh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing this series. It's so, that's amazing. It's really fun. Yeah, I, I, it's my favorite time of year. It's the most wonderful time of year, as they say. Okay, friends, don't you love Sarah Jane? Oh my gosh, she's so smart and just so kind. I'm really thankful to have made a new friend in this Enneagram journey, and I am thankful for Sarah Jane's work. I've loved her at Enneagram and Coffee, her funny stuff, her serious stuff. I love all the work she does over there, and I think you will too. So make sure you follow Enneagram and Coffee. Tell Sarah Jane, thanks so much for being on the show. Grab a copy of her book, The Honest Enneagram. I think it'll be a great partner as we journey this month month together. Remember, this is a month-long experiment and experience we're going to have starting on Thursday with our Enneagram 8s, David and Leslie. As we are sharing all things Enneagram, I want to tell you about our Ennea Summer 2020 sponsor. If you're curious about your number, which I'm sure many of you are, I encourage you to check out your Enneagram coach and take the assessment. They have amazing courses and tools to learn more about the Enneagram and building relationships with other numbers. You can go take their assessment by going to yourenneagramcoach.com slash that sounds fun or by clicking through the link in our show notes. So if you are looking as part of figuring out your Enneagram number, if you would like to take any sort of assessment, yourenneagramcoach.com slash that sounds fun. Some other resources you should gather up as we are getting going this month. Uh, you want to go back like we talked about and listen to any of summer 2019. Jen Hatmaker has a series right now. Ryan O'Neill has a series. There are a lot of great, Suzanne Stabile has a podcast. There are a lot of great resources out there for you. We just think ours is going to be another really fun summer with incredible conversations. Um, if you are new to this, here's how it goes. Starting on Thursday, we will have two people, a male and a female of each number every Monday and Thursday. And they're people you don't know. They are people who don't have platforms that are public. They are just normal friends of mine and my staff. And so on Thursday, we have David and Leslie. They're both Enneagram 8s. And I think you're going to love this conversation. So make sure you tune in with us on Thursday. And after the eights on Thursday, then we'll go nines, ones, twos, threes, fours, fives, sixes, and end at the end of July with the sevens. And on every episode, we have got a little couple of minute intro at the beginning with one of our very favorite experts, Seth Abram. He will come in and tell us a little bit about each number before we listen to the conversation, just to kind of get your palate ready for what you're going to hear in that conversation. Also throughout the month, just so you know, we will only have Enneagram shows. Also in July, we have a couple of surprises for you on other days besides Mondays and Thursdays. So make sure you subscribe to the That Sounds Fun podcast so you don't miss any of that. If you need anything else from me, friends, I'm easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all the places you may need me. That is how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. I'm so excited to be kicking off Ennea Summer 2020 with you. We've got 
18 of the coolest people, the smartest guests, just 18 people that you are absolutely going to fall in love with. And my hope and heart around this series is that you understand yourself better, that you grow and help because of what you hear, and that you learn some new and really important ways to love your friends that are not just like you. That has been um, one of my favorite things about this series. So any of summer 2020 continues on Thursday with our eights. Make sure you tell your friends we will see you on Thursday. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you. I'll do the same. We'll see you on Thursday with our Enneagram eights. Y'all have a great week. Bye.